All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to a Wednesday episode of Crypto with English. And this is a special dealing with the crisis and war in Ukraine and how cryptocurrency will play a role in the road forward. So it's, it's pretty apparent to everybody we're in a very dark and violent time in 2022. The invasion of Ukraine has really revealed forces representing the worst of humanity and resisting it are people and individuals possessing the best of humanity. So how we write the next chapter is truly in our hands. So you don't have to be a DC bureaucrat, a Wall Street suit, or a Bitcoin whale to make a difference. Web3 and DeFi has truly demonstrated to us all how powerful and capable a single individual is in making a difference for the better. So one of my favorite Roman poets and philosophers is Ovid. And he said, dripping water hollows out the stone, not through force, but through persistence. And often in life, that is how some of the biggest obstacles are won. So I would like to proudly and passionately welcome my friend and Ukrainian co-founder of Decenter, Marie Poterieva. Um, we are going to discuss the very powerful and meaningful initiatives that exist currently to help out Ukrainians who are stuck and suffering in the middle of this crisis. Marie, thank you very much for coming back on uh, to the show today. And in fact, uh, this is the second time she's been on my show. And to add further detail, she was one of the first guests who came onto my show way back in the middle of last year. So uh, Marie, I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you very much, Adam, for having me. And thank you for um, taking time to shed light on this issue on the war in Ukraine, which is really, really important one for, right. for the whole world, for the humanity itself, and uh, for the appreciation of crypto too. Right. And I was wondering if you could shed some light on maybe some misunderstandings of Russia and its relationship to Ukraine, because often when I turn on the news, a lot of the major, I guess you could say, news platforms kind of act like this is a surprise, as if this almost came out of left field. And in fact, for many who know better, there is a precedent for this. So, you know, what is the precedent and what exactly is the world dealing with as far as Vladimir Putin and his ambitions? Yeah, I can share a bit of my personal history. Sure. I uh, I was uh, raised in a city, in the city of Kharkiv. It's a big city in the eastern Ukraine. Right. It's a Russian-speaking city. And um, from before two thousand and eight, from before the Orange Revolution, uh, we being Russian-speaking uh, city, we were often and mistakenly uh, took by Russians as Russians, although we are Russian-speaking Ukrainians. Right. This is a huge difference. And it took us uh, 2008, the Orange Revolution, and then 2014, the Maidan, to consequently try and prove that, no, we are not Russians. And each time, each revolution was steered uh, in part, in big part, by Putin and by his regime, because I don't know why, but there's a whole lot of Russians who are sure that Ukrainians are like 
the same Russians, but worse, <laughs> or just another kind of Russians. Although, uh, being Ukrainian, and I think I speak now for all Ukrainians, no, we're not Russians, and we just want to live peacefully and just leave us alone. And right. this message, we are not Russians, leave us alone. This message we tried to prove it in 2008, then 2014 with another revolution and each revolution you know it's, it becomes bloody and bloodier it becomes right. more harsh and now <laughs> when we don't need to do a revolution to prove it to ourselves right. uh, now there's another uh, mean that putin decided to use which is war right. and uh, this war uh, as he explained it to the russians is to free Ukraine, free the Ukrainian people, right. although before he, he said a whole lecture on why Ukrainian people are not Ukrainian people, but <laughs> well, yes, uh, now he right. says that this is to free Ukrainian people from their Nazi government who abuses right. them. Just yes. to, um, I, I don't know how, how, how could, okay, I understand that decades of propaganda, it washes your brain to the point that you cannot actually see right from wrong but how can you tell can you say that the government is nazi when uh, in the last elections the far right candidate he had like 1.8 percent right and the majority uh have voted for a jewish guy right like really the current well, president can be more anti-nazi than this kind of right right but yeah. i guess anybody is good to start the war so that's basically what happened and right. now uh, Ukrainian people are suffering the consequences. Yes, and I saw a translated version, I guess you could say, of Russia's State of the Union, so to say. So Vladimir Putin did roughly about an hour or an hour and a half speech. And you read all that. I'm sorry? You read you read the whole <laughs> I sat through it. I was very yes. curious as far as what type of, I guess you could say, dialogue or narrative is he going to try to use or justify this? And one of them was, as you mentioned, uh, there was essentially white supremacist far-right groups in Ukraine uh, essentially victimizing, terrorizing, and killing citizens. Also, um, he heavily implied that those groups are supported by the current president and his cabinet which is ironic. He is Jewish. And in fact, his immediate family members, his grandparents were killed during the Holocaust. So it was a very, very bizarre, you know, explanation. He also mentioned that he wanted to invade Ukraine for the mere liberation of essentially Russian people being slaughtered and killed. So he indicated there was some type of ethnic uh, genocide going on at the moment. So, like I said, these were all very bizarre, and this was what looked to me like the cornerstone of his narrative. We're going to go and free our fellow countrymen and countrywomen from a tyrannical regime, so to say. So, looking you know, at they, that, it was bizarre. Yeah, one of the most ironic, well, tragically ironic things is that the biggest Ukrainian Russian-speaking city, the city with the biggest percentage of Russian-speaking uh, population is Kharkiv, is my native city of Kharkiv. Right. Kharkiv was the city that was shelled and bombed the heaviest. This city is, well, one of the cities that was 
uh, bomb the heaviest. Uh, right. Kharkiv, Mariupol, which is also a Russian-speaking city right. from the south, which is now uh, basically besieged, and there is a half a million people who are basically hostages because they cannot leave the city. Um, they do not have electricity, water, uh, food for a week already. No heat, yes. nothing at all. And these are Russian-speaking cities. So if you came to, I don't know what the liberation means, but it's right. I, I don't know. This cruelty is just like beyond anything one could imagine. And I would just before speaking to you, I was just reading the reports from the. Uh, from Red Cross, you know, uh, who uh, read, not normally in times of war, Red Cross uh, is the uh, neutral organization which right. helps both parties at war organize green corridors to evacuate civilians. Right. And basically, uh, this is right now, there's some evacuations going, but before there were two or three tries of uh, evacuating people from different uh, cities, which were besieged basically by Russians. And when people uh, started moving, Russians started uh, firing in them. The last right. one, there was a whole family of four people just, you know, blew up. Just, you know, the, the, it means that the Russians say, okay, let's open the green corridor. We love civilians, please go. And then they bombed these civilians. And recent people from Red Cross said that, uh, one of the negotiations included the route right. proposed by the Russians for evacuation of people from Mariupol. And this route, basically, when Red Cross went there, they realized it was covered in landmines. Oh. How evil oh. can you that be? Is, that is to reprehensible. Yeah. To, to say that you are evacuating civilians, then to turn to your people and say, oh, we are evacuating civilians, we don't bomb civilians, and at the same time, do everything to kill them it's, right. it's just beyond any evil you know ever shown in a hollywood movie it's so right. so it's worse than hitler really right you know it, it probably so because um you know technology is far greater and i think the capacity to use technology to inflict pain is greater and in fact i would imagine uh you know stepping on a landmine whether you're mortally wounded or you die is probably one of the worst experiences in combat. Many landmines are filled with tons of shrapnel. So there's a mm -hmm. charge and there's all these little metal pieces that are kind of layered on top of it. So it's like essentially a very concentrated pipe bomb of sorts that just kind of tears you apart. So instead of just kind of, you know, dying quickly, a lot of times people just end up bleeding out. And, and even if they do recover, they're they're completely disabled and maimed forever and disfigured so it's not even like a simple i guess you could say a clean type of death like getting shot or something which by the way is terrible too but you know imagine something that kind of rips you in half mm -hmm. while also blowing you up at the same time um it's 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 quite terrible and i think the very tragic irony here is is that the very cities he's bombing and the people that are dying, and you know, we're gonna keep seeing those numbers come out. Many of those numbers are made of Russian, uh, ethnic Russians who live in Ukraine. Ethnic Russians or Russian-speaking Ukrainians. Or Russian, because yeah, right now, right. sometimes it is difficult to say because right. uh, they, they, there's a lot of common history. But, you know, when you look at this, you can see 
why he is doing it because uh, and he already tries to because he already proposed a couple of times to Ukrainian people to evacuate Hi, Maria, are you there? Hello? All right, bear with us one moment. All right, Marie, I think we just lost you there for a second. Could yeah, you uh, okay. repeat what you just said? Yes. Yeah, I was just saying that this makes sense in a very cruel way because he, by sabotaging the uh, normally organized evacuation routes with the Red Cross and Ukrainian army and everything, he tries to push people to take the Russian evacuation route. So Which then, is full of landmines and traps. <laughs> oh, look at all those Ukrainian people who are fleeing to Russia. No one flees to Russia. Two million people <laughs> have already... <laughs> right. No one flees to Russia. <laughs> no one flees to Russia. Right. Two million people have already crossed the European border. Uh, I myself recently, uh, yes, yesterday evening, I went to the airport to meet my mother, who has spent three days uh, running from Kharkiv. <laughs> So she is also a refugee right now. So no one goes to Russia. And uh, instead of all this crooked and sick uh, in, in, tries to, you know, sabotage evacuation, no one will. Because, you know, this is just inconceivable to go to people who kill, who kill you and who kill your family and your friends. Right. And uh, physically, is your mother okay? Physically, yes. Yes, right. I, I can I, I can only imagine the trauma as far as experiencing all that, getting shelled, having essentially soldiers coming into cities, occupying cities, and attacking civilians. So I'm at least happy to hear she's physically okay, and and I hope that she's able to emotionally recover. You know, from all this, um, it's this this catastrophe. You know, so to say. You know, when we were speaking a few days ago you were mentioning some of the propaganda that's currently being floated around Russia. Now, I've read a few reports as well, including people essentially putting a letter Z on their cars and houses, mm -hmm. um, indicating support for the current Russian regime, being you know Vladimir Putin. But um, you have some firsthand experience of what some people are actually saying. <laughs> yeah, I have very sad. So um, another peek into my family's <laughs> history. <laughs> Um, I was about uh, my mother came. All right, hold on one moment. All right, hi, we just lost you um, for a moment again. Could you <laughs> repeat what you just said? Yeah, so basically, I was saying that my mother was born in Siberia because yes. she made she she's a part of those Ukrainians who were deported to Siberia in the 30s by Stalin. So right. she basically came back to Ukraine, to Kharkiv. But as she was born in Siberia, so Russia, of course, uh, she had lots of friends, well, still family in there, uh, all the university friends. She worked sometime in Moscow in her young years. So uh, we have a big part of our uh, acquaintances are Russians right. living in Russia. 
And uh, throughout the years, you can see how the propaganda is working on their brains. Right. It's when when uh, before 2008, it was like, okay, you're Ukrainians, we are Russians. This is fine. This is great. No problem. And then the 2008 revolution was like, oh, are you sure you are Ukrainians? 2014, you're like, oh my God, you are strange people. And now progressive, and even 2014, more right. and more people started calling Ukrainians Nazi. I don't know why, because this Nazi narrative, it started really, really long time ago. And right. throughout the years, this Nazi, it came up stronger. And stronger. Basically, it sufficed uh, saying, I am Ukrainian, I am not Russian, to be treated as a Nazi by right. that. So uh, it, it becomes really strange. And now when the war is so obvious to the whole world and the whole world says that it is impossible to tolerate such a cruelty in our age and we consider ourselves to be civilized more or less and this is mm -hmm. Europe and how come and so on. And the Russians living in Russia, most of them, they... They do support it. They do think that there are Nazis in Ukraine abusing uh, uh, Russian people or Russian-speaking people. They do believe it. And when my mother calls her brother and says, like, and uh, tells what's happening really on right. the ground, she is treated by a Nazi. She, she, she's treated to be a Nazi. She's treated to be a crazy person or something like this. It, it, and this. Um, and these people, it's not, uh, these cases are not isolated. Uh, basically, every Russian I know who lives in Russia is like this. Russians who live in Europe, of course, completely different people. Right. Russians living in Russia, they do believe it. And, well, th there's a very common narrative now in the internet. Oh, poor Russians. There are lots of sanctions hitting on them. Uh, real, uh, normal people on the ground, they do not support Putin. They just are afraid to go um, on the streets and protest. No. They're a very small part of them. Really very small part of them who are aware and who who may be going on the streets. There were a couple of thousands only right. on the streets a couple of days ago. These people, right. they realize things, but these people are a minority. Most of them are, think that they're good and they think that the world has gone crazy and the world right. wants to wants Russian people to suffer and they are prepared to suffer because, wow. I don't know, it's some kind of religious stuff. Uh, right. It's right. like, yeah, the God sent us suffering so we oh. would stand it. It is this wow. kind of mood already from so, so, so many people because, you know, they, not me, because most of my Russian-speaking friends are living in Europe, so they know right. what's happening, but most of my mother's friends uh, from the university years and things like this, they send the messages like, oh, you're, uh, these Nazis, did they hurt you? She was like, oh, oh my God, right. can you be more wrong, more cruelly wrong on this? You yeah. are hurting me. <laughs> Right. And, you know, it's strange. It just seems logically ridiculous, you know, based on the points that we've, you know, just, you know, discussed, so to say, you know, they have, you know, a Jewish president, you know, uh, there isn't really a whole lot of there isn't strong evidence to indicate that there's some sort of Nazi uprising in Ukraine or there's really no 
precedent or some sort of great body of evidence indicating that Ukrainians are sympathetic, you know, towards that as well. And, you know, and it, it, even to be fair, too, you know, um, many parts of Europe do have some of those fringe right-wing white supremacist groups so where everyone the UK, ha every country has a right. share of idiots absolutely every, every country has a share of rapists right thieves, absolutely uh, stupid people like it's like everywhere they do not in any case affect the policy and the country right. in general right absolutely and some horrifying evidence that has come out with the uh, invasion of Ukraine by, you know, Putin's regime and uh, you could say warmongers and hawks in the military is that he's essentially sending out the youngest, greenest, most inexperienced soldiers to the front line with equipment that doesn't work, rations that are expired and, you know, simply just not enough training and essentially to go and face and fight the elderly, women, children, and the many husbands, fathers, and brothers who are also defending their country. So looking at that, it really displays the magnitude of Putin's cruelty, where he's essentially sending almost the akin of barely graduated high school students with little training and equipment that doesn't work 50% of the time to invade another country. Uh, the part, yes, the, the part on the ground... Uh really shed it to pieces by the Ukrainian army and Ukrainian right. people. Right. Because uh, first, when people are defending their land and their families, you know, they become fierce. Absolutely. And on the other hand, you have like those uh, uh, conscripts. Conscripts, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, conscripts. Don't understand what's happening and well, yes. But right now, actually, it started with, there are more and more because, um, you know, we know these people from those that Ukrainian army captures. Right. And uh, uh, they start capturing more and more of experienced fighters too, especially those, the uh, pilots of the fighter jets right. or other kind of planes. Uh, then uh, they have the uh, legions from the uh, Chechnya re region. Right. Uh, which are known for being kind of super fierce, but still they are being right. captured. Right. But uh, <laughs> no, yes, there, there are lots of uh, green young boys who are sent as a bullet meat. Yeah, meat shields, cannon fodder. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes. But there are also experienced fighters who also get caught and who also come try to capture Ukraine on the ground. Right. So basically, the ground is not another big problem the big problem is the sky right and <clears throat> one of the major themes that i've seen out there is the rise of nationalism extreme nationalism i would say like jingoism xenophobia within russia over the past 15 years and i i would imagine you've probably seen the writing on the wall earlier than many but you know there's many um reports and scholarship out there indicating that Vladimir Putin essentially wants to bring back the greatness of the Imperial Russian Empire pre-communism. Yes. So like like the Romanov royal family and things like that. So um, could you kind of, um, you know, expand upon that? Uh, well, it's kind of obvious, I think, to everyone that he wants to recreate the USSR by totally ignoring the reasons why it fell apart. 
which right. is stupid. Um, and um, but right now, actually, the the, the, the lots of um, misa, like there are lots of people who don't understand why exactly he is doing this because the resistance is so fierce. So maybe if he had some doubts about the uh, Ukrainian uh, self esteem or <laughs> the right. uh, uh, what Ukrainians do think about themselves right now with such a fierce opposition there are no doubt at all so even right. if he you know erases all Ukrainian cities and kills all Ukrainian people he will not be able to profit from the land because those you know two three persons who will left they will not ever uh, accept Russian dominance or Russian uh, government or things like this so this is why actually there are lots of people who don't understand why he's doing this now because right. even if he captures the, the ground the people will never ever uh, accept him so recreating right. <laughs> will be impossible because right. people will not will just not uh, agree to this right and, yeah uh, absolutely and there are lots of and the russia actually it it it, it has made a lots of wars it made two two wars in chechnya there were war in uh, afghanistan in the 80s in, in afghanistan in the 80s there were two wars in georgia as right. well there are russian military bases in transnistria uh, and the right. moldovan border uh finland is not happy with russia either no no definitely not <laughs> Uh, yeah, Japan uh, has some. There's also history there. World War One and a little bit before. The, right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Japan still thinks that the Korea, the South Korea uh, islands are Japanese. Right, uh, Sakhalin in that region. Yeah, right. Yes. So kind of. Um, um, there are lots of people who think that Russia got some territories it should not have. Right. Like, Japan <laughs> yeah. also they never be one of the territories right right and it, it seems like they're quickly making enemies in every direction and it really looks that vladimir putin overplayed his hand thinking that he's going to essentially battering ram his way through ukraine and it was going to be you know an, an easy victory you know in, in of itself so you know let me ask you why is vladimir putin and the uh, rush current russian regime why are they scared of ukraine joining NATO and the European Union officially? Because it seems to me that is the narrative they've been pushing um, to prevent Ukraine from joining, you know, one of these or both of these organizations. This is very, this is a very strange narrative because if Russia doesn't want to have uh, NATO on its border, okay, but right. it already has like there's Poland and the European right. countries. If it doesn't want so. another a NATO country on its border, if supposedly if it took over ukraine it would find itself with another not nato countries on its border right with, and it's gonna be poland <laughs> right yeah and, and hungary uh, hungary right so uh whenever you go there will always be a border so uh yes there, there are lots of people actually lots of uh even european europeans will say ah oh, no it, it is kind of ukraine's fault because it played with the notion of the nato and things like this right it, <laughs> the nato ukraine is just one small country just you know take a look at ukraine and take a look at russia 
Ukraine right. needs someone, you know, a, a, a union to protect it from Russia, right. to prevent from what's happening now. Right. And this and, and this is actually a big, uh, yeah, it's a big disappointment that Ukraine was not in, in NATO or in the European right. Union. Otherwise, maybe the war would not have been started. Right. And, you know, it seems to me, at least based here in the United States, both uh, Republicans and Democrats have equally shit the bed as far as handling this. And this just goes beyond just one administration. So, you know, from where you're standing and with your experiences, how do you think the U.S. failed to prevent this or failed to properly address this over the years? Well, NATO. Right. (laughs) (laughs) There's this and... uh... Right. Kind of the ambiguous like stance uh, as far as, you know, letting Ukraine in or not letting Ukraine in. It seems like they're kind of almost, uh, in, I guess you could say, uh, you know, putting their head in the sands, you know, just kind of avoiding yes. it and hopefully nothing bad happens. That's what it kind of looked like. Yes, th- that's this. And let's not forget that how freaked Russia is about the U.S. Right. And so uh, it should have been, okay. We're going in, we're going, Ukraine is our friend, uh, it comes to NATO right. and everything's fine. But it was, Ukraine is our friend, but let it be and see what happens. And what right. happens is war and death and destruction. So this is where uh, America screwed up. Right. In my and opinion. as far, right, no, absolutely. That logically, you know, makes, makes a lot of sense. And, and and in fact, uh, you know, I, I would imagine a lot of that ambiguity and indecisiveness comes from certain financial ties too. you know, um, you know, don't want to, you know, affect the price of oil, for instance, among among many others. And as far as Europe, um, you know, where do you think the failure of leadership was? You know, it, um, do we play is it can any of it be placed on Germany or the UK or France or maybe any of the other, you know, member states? Germany has Germany. tied uh, ties with Russia, right. and uh, of course Europe buys a lot of uh, gas from Russia. But Germany right. in particular, and Germany really strangely, they have closed the nuclear stations, nuclear plants, and supposedly to you know due to ecological considerations. Right. While the nuclear <laughs> power is really not potent at all, right. if it's not uh, in a seismic activity, active area like in Japan, right? And the the risk of it, you know, exploding is really, really, really <clears throat> low. So it was really well. To me, it was a kind of stupid uh, decision to close these plants, and then they opened a couple of coal ones, which pollute, right? And they became even more uh, reliant on Russia, which is dangerous. So right. Uh, right now, yeah, I think in European Union, there's lots of things to be done by Germany. Yeah, it, it seems like there is a, a good amount of blame to go in many directions as far as how this has been handled, you know, 15 to 20 years leading up to this event. So, you know, moving forward, Talk a little bit about Decenter, and then we're going to go into the initiatives that have been set up to help Ukrainians uh, in this current uh, conflict. How did you come up with Decenter, and how did you come up with the design? And by the way, everybody, I would preface at this. If anybody um, has a moment, check out our website, Decenter. It's, it's in the comments section of this post. 
This is a great resource to get news related to cryptocurrency, blockchain, NFTs, metaverse, you name it. But what is very, very great about it, this is actually built and set up akin to an actual blockchain node ecosystem. So instead of going to a website where effectively you see a laundry list of links and headlines as far as what you want to look for, you go onto her website at Decenter, and this is set up like a decentralized node networks. So, um, and by the way, what you do is you click on various nodes and essentially with each attribute you click, it leads you to essentially the news and information you're looking for. So whether that's cryptocurrency gaming, whether it's like how to's, whether it's the NFTs and metaverse, whether it's even, you know, current cryptocurrency rates, this, this is set up like a decentralized blockchain node network. It's, it's essentially a gamified experience when you're looking for information and news and anything and everything relevant regarding blockchain and the metaverse and DeFi and regulations. It is great. So I would suggest anybody to check out. But anyway, um, talk a little bit about it and what uh, inspired the design. Oh, thank you. Um, well, design was inspired by, by the idea of decentralization as well as the name Decenter. Because yes. to me, uh, one of the things I really do not like and the things I think are harmful for any kind of organization or a country is centralization. Is one guy or girl right. uh, making decisions according to their ego and right. their uh, own goals. So <laughs> I think we see uh, the consequences of this such behavior really well in geopolitics right now. Right. So decentralized systems fascinate me. <laughs> yes. And by the way, this is the only one of this type that I have seen. And it's it's not just simply a website of blockchain enthusiasts who love decentralization. Everything on this website is decentralized, but logical. So keep following the nodes that you click um, yeah. to get to where you want. That's really what it's like. That's the idea. And yeah. Uh, it suits really well the universe of crypto and blockchain because it is so vast and yes. because it touches uh, virtually any domain, any economic domain, any activity type. And it is so like there's lots of uh, different directions yes. of knowledge and it is not linear. And this is why this organization, uh, this uh, mind map type of organization, for right. me, is the best one to learn about the blockchain. It's like you, uh, oh, yeah. you start in the beginning and then you choose if you want to learn about you know, Bitcoin or legal aspects or use cases or uh, um, some theory and how the mechanism works. Right. And basically, yeah, you go further and further and further. Yeah. And I couldn't tell you how many times if I want to look up something in blockchain, cryptocurrency, NFT news, and I just have to parse through just such a huge amount of information. And then sometimes I still don't get exactly to where I want to. This website is totally different. Like I said, viewers, Please check it out. By the way, other than the fact that it's an incredible design, it saves you a lot of time and it's kind of fun <laughs> clicking different nodes and seeing where they lead to. And it's logically where you want to go. 
So you click different attributes, brings you to another node, click a different set of attributes. And as you progress, you get to where you want, so to say. So I actually really enjoy that. So you recently put up an article, Crypto Initiatives to Help Ukraine. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. Tell me a little bit about some of the initiatives going on, and then we'll kind of get into the details of them. Yeah, uh, the, the great thing about crypto uh, and blockchain in general is that it is transparent because yes. it is like the notions of decentralization and transparency are linked together because one is not possible for the other. And uh, the fact that it is transparent, uh, it, it can become a really great tool, you know, to follow in the money. And when it comes right. to charity, because right now uh, uh, there's a lot of charity use case in Ukraine. Right. When it comes to charity, using the transparent blockchain is a great, great way to ensure that your donations they go to the uh, to the entity that you right. want that you want them to go to, and uh, this is also uh, uh, thanks to the Ukrainian government, which is kind of crypto friendly. Right. <laughs> and, yes, they are. Yes, and this is really, and I think yeah, it's well, Ukraine is a has a very very big IT brain yeah. and a lot of crypto projects they have ukrainian developers and uh that is why when the war started the minister of digital transformation he posted uh, a couple of addresses crypto addresses the official addresses of the ukrainian government so right. he started with uh bitcoin ethereum and uh and uh, the stable coin, the USDT. Right. And then there was so much enthusiasm on Twitter uh, that he expanded it. There was uh, Gavin Wood, the uh, co-founder of Polkadot, who said, I right. will donate you 5 million if you open a dot address, a Polkadot address. So he did this one. Uh, then Solana came along. The co-founder of Solana, uh, Alexander Yakovenko, he is Ukrainian. <laughs> So right, yeah. now Ukrainian government has a Solana address too. And uh, they ended with a Dogecoin. <laughs> right. <laughs> so even, even the memes, even the memes can help Ukraine. And basically having these official addresses, it means that not only people can send crypto to these addresses easily from anywhere in the world, uh it means it also means that other initiatives other fundraisers nft projects DAOs, whatever they can raise money among their users proposing their perks okay and right. make sure that the money goes to the official addresses of the ukrainian government that's why there are right. lots of nft projects uh where the these official addresses are hard-coded into the smart contract so you can see, you can go to Etherscan, you can right. check the smart contract and you can see, you can compare the addresses and see that this is legit. And this is absolutely incredible. Like what kind of, what any other kind of uh, monetary system can allow right. you to do the donations which are this secure. Right. And right now we're looking at real-time decentralized solutions in action, 
live in the round. So we have some DAOs here that are supporting uh, Ukrainians that are currently fighting, you know, in this current crisis and also to help those who are suffering in Ukraine during this current crisis as well. So everybody, I will be posting the links for all of these initiatives in the comments section. But uh, the three ones that are mentioned here are Ukraine DAO, Unchain, and Aid for Ukraine. So um, if you want to, you know, touch upon any one of those and, you know, explain to people how they can help and, you know, perhaps uh, go into some of the underlying features as far as why, you know, why this is so effective. Yes. Uh, well, Ukraine DAO, I think their mission is kind of ended now because the, the main goal was to auction off an NFT of a Ukrainian flag, which they did for $6.7 million. Oh, wow. Which is <laughs> this is huge. Yeah. Because the... Um, the power of the DAO, Decentralized Autonomous Organization, is not only, uh, in fact, that the funds are managed collectively. It also means that the, how say, the, the reputation and the network and the image of people who compose the DAO right. is also, you know, driving it together. And in uh, in case of Ukraine DAO, there was a couple of really famous person and really famous DAOs. There was a Pleaser DAO. Who uh, promoted it? Blizzard DAO is a, I, I don't know if you heard of it. It's a uh, they're kind of famous guys. They uh, they buy NFTs of uh, cultural importance. Okay. And they are famous for having bought the signature of Edward Snowden. Okay, so now they, that sounds familiar. Now, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. They have this uh, kind of libertarian um, side. Right. Libertarian Philosophy behind it. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they have the philosophy. Yeah, yes. that's, that's the right word. Yeah. Uh, so they promoted Ukraine DAO. So then there were uh, girls from Pussy Riot. From oh, right. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. So that, that's why they did a really good job. They auctioned off the... So they promoted the official addresses of the government. And also yes. they auctioned off this NFT, which is a super simple NFT of Ukrainian wow. flag. But... Yeah, someone bought it for six point seven million dollars. So All right, <laughs> they, they did. They did a great job. Yeah, <laughs> and incredible. The dolls, yeah, and the doll, the other dolls that I wrote about, uh, it was on chain. On chain is uh, promoted uh, by a bunch of Ukrainian guys involved in the crypto, uh, notably the guy from Near. You know yes, the Near blockchain. Yes. Yes. Co-founders of Nia Blockchain are Ukrainian. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true now that I think about it. Yeah. You have lots of talented people in that country. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, and so the Unchained DAO is um, now also is accepting donations in a really, really wide range of cryptos. and uh, But they do not actually send it to the... Um, uh, to the official addresses of the Ukrainian government, they send it right. to uh, to other humanitarian aid. Humanitarian okay, aid. so they're like NGOs and charities, yeah. Yes, 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 because some people can have problem with donating to the official Ukrainian address because it right. will go to yes, it will go to buying medical supplies, uh, the equipment for the army, but it can also go to buying arms. And there are people who are not comfortable with this. So it makes sense that there are DAOs who would invest 
uh, and other wow. kind of support. Wow, that's incredible. And uh, um, the other one, Aid for Ukraine. Yeah, this one is Solana. Yes. Uh, it, it's the uh, tribute to the Solana ecosystem and it is a, it's a fast developing ecosystem actually. It's, uh, well, it's still far from Ethereum, but there are lots of people working on it. And as I've said, Solana's co-founder is Ukrainian. So right. you can also suppose that there are lots of projects done by the Ukrainian people on the Solana. Yes. And uh, so they have lots of NFT projects and a lot of, and this DAO, the Aid, Aid for Ukraine, uh, which is also, which is, uh, which, which sends the funds either to the uh, official, official government addresses right. or to the fiat account. Right. Because, um, like, I think that we have to understand that when the government receives the crypto, it either must find uh, someone who will sell them products for the right. crypto, okay, right. or it has to buy fiat money and then to uh, to buy things with fiat. Right. So there are more and more people who sell, who accept crypto for selling uh, tactical gear and uh, things like this and arms also. But right. there are still some people who do not accept crypto, so you need to have fiat. And what the Aid for Ukraine does, it partnered with FTX Exchange. Right, yes, and yeah. uh, uh, yes, and uh, they help, uh, they convert a part of their donations into fiat and then send the fiat to the bank account of the Ukrainian government. Right. And, you know, I just want to point out something, especially as as yesterday was International Women's Day. You know, a shout out to the women defenders and militia yes. that are currently in active combat defending their country. You know, for anybody who's been watching the news or following this, there is so much footage and photographs of fashion models, beauty queens, grandmothers, teachers nurses taking up arms, putting on armor and defending their country. So as far as women, the women of Ukraine should absolutely, must absolutely be celebrated. That is an incredible amount of valor and courage to say, you know, the very least. So listen, I'm going to, I'm going to give them a clap. That is, <laughs> yeah, that, is that is, that is, that is, that is incredible. Seriously. <laughs> Me, me with my cat, we totally agree. <laughs> right. And by the way, like I said, I think Putin has started something that he cannot finish now. So, you know, if, if this is the spirit of of the people of Ukraine, I'm sorry. This is this is going to be another quagmire. And you could almost say tragedy for whatever he thinks his reputation or his legacy will be, to say the very, to say the very least. So wanted to just yeah. throw that out there. Yeah, uh, well, it is. It, it it is worth mentioning because the you know the country that uh, upon uh, being hit by you know missiles and being declared a full scale war, the country right. that have huge queues uh, of people who want right. to go to militia, who want to take up arms and fight, whether they be old or sick or right. too young or women or uh anyone 
or right. people who had never done you know any kind of training all these people there are much more people uh in militia than needed basically there are lots right. of people who are refused there are lots of people who beg you know to, right. to be accepted into the militia because uh you know wow it is very hard, actually, you know, to, 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 to see to see your country invaded and not to do anything. Right. So it may be easier in some ways right. to go to militia and fight because you're doing actually. But right now, there are too many people who want to do this. And there are lots of, wow. uh, like, warning, there are lots of information on the network saying, like, we have lots of people in the militia. Right. We don't have <laughs> arms for everyone. Like... We don't have enough uh, bottles for everyone to do the Molotov cocktails. Oh, the Molotov cocktails. Yes, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. So just uh, please, if you can, stay home. If you can, please work because that's right. a huge hit on the economy because no one's working. Like only the right. Western part is working. So, right. uh, yes, that's this period. And this is why it it, it it is a very difficult war it's a tragic war but uh, ukraine will never be taken because that's this period no i don't think it will no it's not going to be taken and in fact it seems like to to meet the uh brutality of the landmines russia has been leaving um you know something is equally as menacing is the molotov cocktail so you know that is you know something the russian soldiers are going to have to deal with by the way, which is which could be just as painful, if not more of a painful death than stepping on a landmine. So and by the way, uh, with all the footage that's come out, uh, Ukrainian militia and defenders are highly organized. Nobody is taking this lightly, so to say. So the amount of dedication, organization and valor uh, behind the defenders of, of Ukraine, the various men, women, children and elderly who are defending their country my god you know uh, i think russia unleashed a uh, form of hell onto itself and you know putin is the blame to say the very least yeah. do, 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 you, do you want a small anecdote absolutely <laughs> please i love anecdotes <laughs> there was there there was a well a real, real life story actually sure there, there was recently a woman who um who took off a russian drone from her balcony by throwing a, a jar of pickled tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's awesome. And you know, yeah. probably one of those military drones was like 10,000 plus US dollars to even make, you know, much less even deploy and fuel and take <laughs> care of. So that is that is great. I mean, <laughs> wow, that is incredible. <laughs> Moving forward, you know, NFTs have a role in this, you know, aid economy uh, for the, you know, the citizens and militia defenders of Ukraine. So, you know, these are Ethereum based, you know, NFTs. So we're dealing with holy water, arts under artillery and the soul of Ukraine. Uh, do you want to touch on some of those? Well, just touching on everyone, I would like to sure, yeah. how, how, how wonderful it is that you can buy a charity NFT and be sure that the proceeds do go to where intended. Right. So these, these are the NFTs that I cite in this article, in this newsletter. They, uh, most of them, they had the government address hard-coded into the smart contract. Right. So you're, when you're buying it, 
And when you're reselling it afterwards, because royalties are also right. concerned, yes. uh, the proceeds, they go to official addresses, whether it be right. uh, Ethereum or Solana. Right. Uh, and, uh, well, then it's up to, from the moment you have these official addresses, people can express their creativity in any number of ways mm -hmm. trying to raise funds. I myself uh, have the soul of Ukraine, which is very, very, nice. very beautiful. It's not expensive at all. And it's the traditional it's costumes of uh, Ukrainian women, right? That is the theme? Yes, which you are wearing. That is awesome. I'm wearing one of it, yes. One of it. Uh, oh, that's yes. wonderful. And what is it, what's the name of the uh, traditional Ukrainian costume? Uh, the name is Vushovanka. Vushovanka, okay. Which means embroidered. Embroidered, okay. Wow. Yeah, Vishavanka, it literally cool. means embroidered. And Ukrainian people love to embroider everything. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, yep, and like yes. I said, everybody, I will be posting all of these links <laughs> in the comments section. So please check these out, participate, and be active and act now. And, and there, yes, please continue. And it, and this the beauty of the NFT project is that not only you're donating things, you also get a beautiful NFT in your wallet like yes. the the south of Ukraine doll, this is actually like the traditional dolls and traditional costumes. They're all different, right. like any NFT project. Right. And they, they are really beautiful. <laughs> and it all is like it's zero zero three Ethereum. It's like uh, eighty dollars or something like this. Right. Yeah. It's really it's just nice to have it. So it's it's an easy and nice way to donate to do good. And also to have yourself a fancy NFT in your wallet. Right. So, you know, you can, anybody can start becoming an NFT art collector now, and especially by doing a very, very good thing and also learning at the same time as well. So, you know, uh, we'll, you know, we can really start getting into the weeds as far as, you know, the, you know, the various aspects and beauty of Ukrainian culture. And, you know, we're going to see, you know, the beauty of Ukrainian culture come out in many uh, you know, of these projects. And you know, another one that looked interesting is something called the Fluff World, this NFT project. They have a special F the War background um, that users can mint, which I think is, which I think do is great. Do you know the Fluffs? Do you, do you know this project? Uh, I didn't, uh, I'm not too familiar with it. I've, you know, I've read about it and I've heard about it, but if yes, if you'd like to elaborate, please, by all means. Fluffs, well, this is one of my favorite projects in the whole, uh, NFT universe. Uh, this is uh, a New Zealander team who started with these uh, fluffy rabbits. Uh, okay. They're called fluffs, and then they expanded into fluffy spiders. <laughs> <called thingies. laughs> nice. And they have a fluffy bears called party bears. And actually, they are they are a great example of how you make a great NFT project because they have everything. They have the community, the incentives, the parties, the um, the white lists, the uh, all kind of kinds of perks which make uh, the ownership of NFT truly useful. And uh, uh, so, yeah, just if you have a moment, that's not related to Ukraine, but if you have a moment, take a look at the fluffs. Right. I'll, listen, I'll check that out too, and I'll post that in the comments as well. <laughs> You know, I think F the War is a, is a very, very universal and agreed uh, theme right now, you know, so to say. So, 
And yeah, I, but this is, I think this, this meant is already over. And actually this, uh, the fuck the war background is because the fluffs, you know, the, the bunnies, uh, right. they have different kind of music and different kind of background right. uh, that you can change. And you can, in this case, buy. So they created in cooperation with the Ukrainian uh, part of the development team. Uh, they created this background, the fuck the war background that people could mint. Right. And then on the background of their fluffs, of their bunnies. Yes. And they, That's they awesome. like, yeah, it, they almost uh, half a million dollars they raised wow. uh, via this uh, mint. Wow. And I am particularly impressed. All the Solana and uh, Ethereum uh, innovation and projects that have, you know, emerged from this as well. So, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier seeing that there's so many people that are actively participating and, you know, getting aid there through the form of, you know, cryptocurrency or P2P, uh, you know, um, funds and whatnot. This is, you know, this is, this is great, I have to say. And, you know, kind of going forward, you know, from that, uh, what do you want people to know about um, Ukraine as of this moment? And how do you think this will play out, um, you know, as far as the immediate future, like in the next six months, nine months and so on and so forth? Well, I would obviously would like for it to play out in the in the best way for Ukraine. Uh, right. in the, the least cruel in the right. in the most safe and and, and and way for everyone because uh, yes we are making donations now this is great and there's a huge international acknowledgement of right. Ukrainians and the culture and the country but the truth is that, the most urgent thing right now is to stop the war and to stop people from dying because right. that's really, really, that's what's happening. Right, right. As we speak, people are dying there. Right. So that's the most urgent thing to do. And, um, well, despite uh, numerous refusals from the NATO to close the sky over Ukraine, right. this is still the most urgent thing to do. Right. Uh, yes. And, and, and by the way, oh, yes, please continue. No, go on. Well, I was I was thinking too. So I I feel this will end up being another military and political catastrophe for the Russian Federation and for Putin especially. So when this when this invasion fails, what happens to a leader like Putin? Like there has to be, oh. you know, there has to be. I really other... hope he suicides himself. He he kills himself. <laughs> right, like Hitler did. That's the right. Destiny he deserves, because I because I would imagine in that country I would imagine in a country like that with a political environment like that you know it seems like death is always around the corner especially if you're a leader and you you know fuck up you know so you know for him you know this is going to end up being something that crashes the economy this is going to end up being something that's going to cause the lives of many many people on on both sides you know I don't think he's walking away from this war without being also a victim in his own way of it as well. I mean, there's no way he's, you know, you know, claiming any type of prize or ribbon from this. You know, it, it seems like he may just have uh, not so much sand left in his hourglass, so to say. <laughs> uh, I, I certainly hope so. But you can never <laughs> underestimate the power of tyrants right. over their own people. As I told before, Russian people are ready to suffer. 
Right. And they will take the suffering as the, I don't know, uh, God's will that will right. like suffer now and or, will be rewarded right. in the afterlife or things like this. They can totally believe that. So, mm, of course, uh, if the reason prevails, and I do hope it prevails, he will be thrown out by his own or kill, kill himself, or I don't know. Right. Something will happen. But he's a, like all world tyrants, he's a paranoiac. And uh, right. do not forget that Stalin, who murdered tens of millions right. of his own people, he died in his own bed of yeah. old age. Right. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. You just never, never know. And, you know, across the world in classrooms, on TV, there's always talk about democracy and what democracy should be and the good and bad of it. And, you know, democracy is not a perfect system. I think the, I think here in the U.S. we see that very, very often. And by the way, we also see that very often in Europe as well. But I will say uh, one of the most poignant and powerful examples of really a country defending the institutions of democracy is Ukraine. And in fact, I would liken that to the original founders of the United States when they were fighting the British Empire, essentially against a tyrant overseas, King George. So I think of the founding fathers, you know, who essentially engineered and drafted the Constitution and kind of set up the original pillars for democracy. Uh, I think they would be incredibly proud and inspired with, uh, what, they're, with what they're seeing. And in fact, in many ways, what's going on in, in Ukraine right now, you know, uh, people, you know, women, children, the elderly, you know, brothers, husbands, you know, fathers defending their homeland. That is precisely what the founding fathers had in mind. Uh, defend, you know, protecting, you know, your own people, your own land against, you know, some form of tyranny. And we're seeing it right now. So I think, you know, we as you know, we as individuals, I think we owe it to ourselves and I think we owe it to our own beliefs to do something. And if we have the available technology to do it and do it. And, you know, like I mentioned earlier, you don't have to be a Bitcoin whale. You don't have to be a Wall Street suit. You don't have to be a D.C. bureaucrat to do anything about it. You know, you as you are can do something right now. So, you know, uh, like I mentioned before, I will be posting the links to all of these initiatives in the in the comments section. And, you know, Marie, if there are other initiatives that you want people to have awareness about and get involved in, please send that my way and I will post it on my social media as well. So, you know, the word can get out there. And by the way, I think what's empowering is that if people feel like they can make a difference, if people feel powerful, you know, your neighbor, your classmates, you know, you know, there's no there's no sense of feeling helpless, you know you can actually do something by participating in one of these initiatives and really have a say and have a part in the outcome. You know, your participation, your donation, you offering some some kind of crypto funding could be the difference between life and death or, or you know, victory, uh, you know, victory and defeat. And, uh, you know, a soldier's experience in melee in life, you know, during these times. So don't underestimate the... Uh, the significance of all of your actions, you know, as individuals. So Marie, I just want to say thank you so much for, for coming on and explaining and sharing this wealth of knowledge regarding Ukraine, the situation and, you know, these initiatives. I can, I can honestly say, Marie, you and I go way back, 
one of my first guests who came on, volunteered her time to come on and talk about the center and, you know, some of the inner workings and some of the things you've, you know, you had, uh, you know, in the back burner to, be, you know, to be releasing in the future. So, you know, I'll always thank you for that. I always appreciate you for that. So well, thank you for having me. I love speaking about crypto. I love speaking about Ukraine. And uh, if today we can speak about both. Uh... Right. Why not? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you know, history is unfolding, you know, before our eyes right now. So, you know, everyone, we can all do our part and uh, we can all have really a major difference in, in all of this, more so than probably is, any of us could ever think. This is true. It takes uh, even even a small gesture. It counts, and it counts yes. uh, for Ukraine, of course, and it also counts for you, because Absolutely. you can say that I did a gesture. I proved my position. I did not stay aside of this right. uh, huge uh, injustice. Yeah. So it, it it makes you a better person in your eyes too, and this is important. We can all make the world and everything around us a little bit better. And it, you know what? It doesn't take all that much effort. Totally. <laughs> Again, Marie, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I very thank much you. looking forward to uh, speaking to you afterwards and uh, getting the word out regarding all these initiatives and uh, making sure that people can participate and get on these and start, you know, helping out in the uh, crisis in Ukraine right now. Yes. Thank you very much, Adam. And thank, thank you, you very much, everyone. Take care. Bye.